I'd like to have you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. We'll be moving into chapter 5 this morning. And when, when you... Chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 1 through 16. This will be the beginning part. When you begin, begin to think about church, if I was to ask you, what is church? I think some of you might say, well, it's here. It's the building. This is where we meet, where we have services. And I'd say, kind of right, but no, you kind of missed it. Some of you might say, well, it's all the denominations all around the world all kind of combined. It makes up the church. Kind of. I think maybe a better way to simply say it is it's the people of God, those that know Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of um, metaphors or ways to say the church. They say a number of them in the Bible. A couple of them are assembly. It's known as a royal priesthood. It's known as a temple, as a body. But today, the Apostle Paul, he's going to speak about the church collectively as a family. It's a family uh, we're in it together as a family. When, when you became a Christian, you were added into the family of God. You were adopted in. You're made part of this, this wonderful family. As a matter of fact, Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's in Ephesus. But when Paul wrote the Ephesian church, listen to what he says. He says in Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. There you go. You're part of God's household. You're part of His family. You're invited in to take part. And as part of this household, we have certain responsibilities that the way we treat each other. Now remember, Paul's talking to this church, and they had a few problems. False teachers had come in. There'd been some issues within the church. Some of the women were usurping the authority of some of the men leaders. Uh, Some of the men leaders weren't supposed to be leaders, and so Paul has to spell out certain qualifications for the leaders. But today, he wants to talk about how do we treat one another in this church, in the family of God? Well, we're we're supposed to treat each other like we would a family. So let's read the text. We're going to take this in in chunks and sections. So the first section is chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father to the younger men as brothers the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Let's pray for the Word. Father, we thank You for the Word of God. And Lord, even now, I I pray for our family right here, that You would speak to us through Your Spirit, Lord, and show us how we might live out what the text tells us, Lord, in Jesus' name. So how should we treat others in the church? How should we treat those members together? The first thing we'll see this morning is treat men and women of all ages with love and respect as family members. We're to treat God's family with the same kind of respect and care that we would treat our own families. That's what Paul's trying to tell Timothy here. And our families should be a place where where we feel secure and and welcomed and and a place where we know that, that we can go there and we'll be invited in. We call it home. And that's the way the church should be. Now, we know that the, the family is the backbone of culture, isn't it? And if the family goes, our culture goes. And I was doing a little research on this, and the American Bar Association says that 25% of women and 6% of men in committed relationships are abused every year. Over 15 million women in the United States alone are abused. And that's only the ones that are reported. So in the United States, the family's in trouble, isn't it? 
The family, God says, is to be a place where you know that you're loved. It's a place that you know that you belong, that you're welcomed. And this is where Paul's going here in this text. He wants us to know that's the way the church should be. It should be like a a good family, a healthy family. And Paul wants Timothy to take, take care of those in the church the same way he would his own family, to show them the same respect, to show them the same care that you would that, that person that you love, that your brothers, your sisters, your, your mother, your father. And so Paul begins with Timothy here. He says, we're, we're to treat them. He says, first in verse 1, he says, do not sharply rebuke an, an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. See, there were some issues in the church, and, and part of the issue is I think they kind of got off center to the main mission. The main mission is preach the gospel, share the gospel with the lost, but there were people in need at that time, and they had a number of widows, and I think they kind of got pulled off to doing all the work stuff, and so Paul says, you're going to have to maybe even bring a rebuke to a few people, but you're to do that rebuke in a God-honoring way, and so he, he just lays it out. He says, do not sharply rebuke an older man. So he begins talking about the older men in the congregation. Remember, Timothy is a young man at this time. He's probably in his early 30s. And so the way Timothy is built, he's kind of a timid guy. And maybe in his timidity, he might react and overreact to these older men. And so Paul wants to kind of curb that a little bit. And so there's two verbs that kind of lead this passage. The first one is sharply rebuke. The second one is appeal. One word for sharply rebuke is the Greek word, Epilipso, and it's a very strong term. It, refer, it refers to a harsh, violent rebuke. Now, it's not talking about physical violence. It ta- it's talking about verbal violence. Is that in the church, we are not to use harsh words with other people, and particularly with those that are older than us. We're to come around them with, uh, with respect, respect them with the respect that they're due and we should not be using words that could cause harm. This does not reflect Christ-like love. So the idea here is to show respect to all people, but especially with our words. And to those who are older, even if they've sinned, we're to go to them and, and try to draw them back into the kingdom of God with a heart of love, with a heart of respect, the same way that you would a, a father. Now, I know that there are some of you that say, well, I don't respect my father. Well, Here, you're to respect them the same way you'd respect your heavenly father. That's kind of the idea that he's getting at here. And he he says, but rather appeal to him as a father. That word appeal is the Greek word perikaleo, and it means to encourage, to admonish. It could be translated strengthen. It's also where we get paraclete, the Holy Spirit, that strengthens us. Same idea is that we're to come around and that person who's older than us and be a strength to them, to encourage them towards Christ, to to encourage them to Christ's likeness. Now, I love the way Paul says this in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, just listen to the way that Paul says this to someone who's sinned. He says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So when we come to somebody who's older than us, and particularly he's talking about a younger man to an older man, we're to come to them with a spirit of gentleness. We're to come to them to help them bear the burden. We're to go to them and say, you know what, I'm going to treat you the way that I should treat my father, with respect and care. 
understanding that this is the way that Christ wants us to do that. And this is all based on the fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you in the land that God has called you to. And so the church is to treat the elderly as they would our parents. As a church, we're to respect those who are older. And particularly as individuals, as you work with one another. And so confronting sin in the church, it's not to be done violently. Attacking a a fellow brother or sister, this does not honor the Lord. Now, we are supposed to come around them and, and help them understand their sin. As a matter of fact, in James, the way James puts it, listen to the way James puts it in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. He says, my brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his ways and he saves his soul from death and it will cover a multitude of sins. Sometimes you just have to speak it straight to somebody, but you can do that in a loving way and and if you do, you've saved him. You've, you've rescued him from this world and, and you've entered him back into the fold of the church. I was trying to think of a good example and I, and, I, and I thought about Daniel. When Daniel dealt with Nebuchadnezzar, who would have been an elder man, now this isn't a church setting, but the way that he approached Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king, right? But he always approached him with respect. Now I understand that Nebuchadnezzar cut off his head, that's one side. But I think there was real care in Daniel's heart for this man, this king, Nebuchadnezzar. And if you remember, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in that dream, God is trying to show him you're in pride. But listen to Daniel's words in Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. He says, Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. He doesn't come in there and say, King, you've sinned. You need to turn from your sin or God's going to strike you. He doesn't doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do a sharp rebuke. He says, King, please, you're in pride, King, and I'm begging you to turn from that sin. And maybe God will show you mercy, King. Daniel loved King Nebuchadnezzar. His heart was to reach him, and that's the heart that we're to have with those that are older than us. So we're to treat Older men as we would our fathers. And then he talks about younger men. Look at verse 1 again. We're to treat younger men as brothers. Now, Timothy is to exhort younger men as brothers. You could say as equals. Now, Timothy's the pastor, so he has that authority. But basically, I think what Paul's trying to tell him is don't use that authority to lord over people. You come alongside them the way that you would come alongside your brother to try to help him. And and we're to view our brothers and sisters in the Lord as brothers and sisters. We're to treat them with the respect we would family members. And I don't know about you guys, my brothers and me, when we were younger, we were always competing. But now that we're older, we don't compete at all. And we try to help each other out. And I think that's the heart attitude there. Matter of fact, in some places in the Bible, if you're not treating a brother with respect, it, it would even say that you're not a believer. Let me read you 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. It says, the one who says that he's in the light and yet he hates his brother, he's in darkness until now. Brotherly love is what we're supposed to show in church. Now, does that mean you just kind of let sin pass? No. We're still to deal with sin in a younger brother. As a matter of fact, we do it from Matthew 18. Listen how Matthew 18 explains it. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother sins, you go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. You show him respect, you go to him in private. And you say, brother, 
There's something off here. And you pray, Lord. And if that doesn't work, you bring another brother with you. And you do. And you both bring it. If that doesn't work, then you bring it to the church. But it's with love and respect. Why? You want them to see them restored. You want to see this brother in the Lord restored. You show them the respect that's due. So Paul addressed the older men. He addresses the younger men. And then he shifts his focus to the women. The older and younger women. And when it comes to older women, we're to treat them as mothers. And when it comes to younger women, we're to treat them as sisters. It says, with purity. Look at verse 2. The older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters with all purity. So Paul begins to talk about the older women in the church. Young Timothy is to admonish the older ladies as if he would treat his own mother. And I can tell you, probably for a young pastor, it was the, the older women in the church. They probably came around him and and the older women in the church have such a special place in the church because they, they bring a, a balance and maturity and, and a love and, a, and, a, and an encouragement, particularly to pastors. And I think that's what he's saying to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you treat them the way you treat your own mom. And we know that the Bible says that we're to honor our mothers. Proverbs has a ton of verses. I'll share with you too. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 says, Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 23, 22 says, listen to your father who gave you life and don't despise your mother when she is old. Now, the leadership in the church is called to care for the elderly, called to be there for them, to help them, to be in prayer and in all all kinds of means, be a support to those who are older. But it's again to be done with the respect, the same way you treat a family member. I don't know if you remember, but in, in Philippi, there was two women that were causing division. Now, Paul could have written to the Philippians and says, man, you kicked those ladies out. But instead, he showed a lot of tact and a lot of care for them. I want to I read for you two verses out of Philippians chapter 4, verse, verses 2 and 3. And the two women were Iodia and Syneche. This is what Paul says. He says, I urge Iodia and Syneche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who have shared in my struggle for the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Instead of taking a disrespectful, hard tone with him, he says, you know, just go and share with them. You know, they need to be reconciled. And brother, you go help them. You step in and and you try to help these ladies reconcile. That's because he wants them to treat them as you would your mother, showing them the respect that they're due. Older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and then he speaks about younger women as sisters, and he says, in all purity. Well, there's a duty as a pastor, and part of that is to protect your flock. And so uh, he's talking to Timothy, he says, hey, you be that, that older brother to those younger women. Now, part of it, since he's young and you have young ladies, I think he's saying, be careful yourself. Always in purity. Don't let there ever be anything where somebody could say, hey, there's something going on there between you and a younger woman. I think that's just kind of a given in this text. But also, I think it it has that responsibility of the the leadership in the church to look out for those younger ones and to make sure that if there's anybody in the church that you see maybe might you try to mess around with, and you come in and you protect them the way a brother would protect his own sister is what he's saying. But also, if the sister, the the young woman, if she's beginning to fall into sin or do something, you have an obligation to go to them the same way a brother would come around a younger sister and, and speak to her the way a brother would, trying to encourage her to follow Christ and do what's right. I mean, what wisdom this is if we act like a family in the church, wouldn't it? I mean, you know that you're accepted. You know that you're loved and that you're welcomed. 
You know, I shared with the, the men in the Bible study that I do on Wednesday mornings a story about when I was a, just a boy. I was only about seven years old. My dad was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, and he ran our home just like the, the Air Force. I mean, it was like super strict. But we had some neighbors on our street, and, and a number of the neighbors in the street, they were of the, in the military, and, and the man and his family next door, he was under my father's command. And, but I liked the little boy next door, and so I went over to play with him. And he had this little bunny in a cage. And so I used to like to go out there, and we'd take out the bunny, and we'd pet it and play with it. And so I went over there to play with him, and, and I said, hey, let's play with the bunny. He said, no. I said, come on, man, let's play with your bunny. He's like, no, I don't want to. And there was this bag of bunny food next to the cage, those little hard pellets that are green. So I did what any seven-year-old would do. I looked around, nobody's watching. I picked up the bag, and I hit him over the head with it. <laughs> He started to cry. The bag broke. The evidence is all there. And his mom was watching through the window, which I didn't know. And she walks out and she literally grabs me by the ear. And she carries me to my house, literally. And, and, and my mom was like, oh, you wait till your dad gets home. And as children, we know what that means. And I'm going to get the spanking. It's going to happen. I had to sit in my room. And... But when my dad came home, he didn't spank me. Instead, he gave me what I call the Meller talk. This is the Meller talk. He said, son... He said, you're a Meller. And he says, and what you do is a reflection on our family, but particularly to me. He says, I'm the commander of this unit. He says, that man's under my command. And your actions affect the way that he views me. And you have a responsibility as part of this family. You have a responsibility to be a Meller. He says, I'm telling you, you be a Meller. Same thing applies for us Christian. You be a Christian. Because the way you act... It reflects the very heart of God. And people see Christ through you. Be that family. Be the Christian family that we're being called to be. Yeah, but Pastor Rob, what about those people that don't treat me nice in the church? I mean, what the heck am I supposed to do with them? You be the mature one. You treat them the way Christ would treat them. Matter of fact, what does the Bible say? It says we're to what? Love our enemies. Let me read that for you. Luke chapter 6, verse 33 through 36 says, If you do good to those who do good to you, I mean, what credit is that to you? I mean, for even sinners do the same. If you lend to those with whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward, it will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. We are to show and treat men and women of all ages, love and respect, the same as you would a family member. That's the first point. Second point, treat older godly widows with honor and ungodly widows with care and correction. Older godly widows with honor and ungodly widows with care and correction. We're to treat the, the older ladies in the church that, that have lost their husbands. We're to treat them with a special care and concern the same way you would your mother if she was a widow. Now look at verses 3 through 10. It says, honor widows who are widows indeed. That's important right there. But if any widows have children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. 
Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on a list is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. He says we're to honor godly widows who are widows indeed. Now, the English word widow, we know that that means a woman who has lost her husband to death. But the Greek word for widow is a little bit different. It's the Greek word chera, and it means to be robbed or suffered loss, to be left alone. And it means a woman who's lost her husband, but it could mean in a number of different ways. It could mean a woman who's lost her husband to death, by desertion, from divorce, or imprisonment. All those fit this idea of a widow. And the provisions regarding the care of widows, it's it's deeply rooted both in the Christian faith but also in Judaism. God loves the widow. And again, this is back to the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you. Honoring the, the widowed mother was understood to be first the responsibility of the family. So first, if you have a a mother or father, and I was thinking about this, you know, most of us, many of us come from the baby boomer generation, and so we're feeling this one. Many of us are dealing with parents, or we've recently lost parents in the past few years, because we're at that age now where our parents need help, they need care. And he says, first, those that are to care for that that widowed mother, that, that mother that's alone, is the family, and particularly the children and the grandchildren. Now... Jesus spoke about this idea that we're supposed to honor those parents. And he spoke about it when he was speaking to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders of their, that, their, that day, they, they gave themselves over to tradition versus the Bible. And he's particularly speaking to these that they, they're using something called Corban, which means they've dedicated their money to God. doesn't mean they've given their money yet, but they say, well, this money's dedicated to God, so I can't use it. For my poor parent. Let me read you how Jesus addresses them in Mark chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. He says, Neglecting the commitment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or his mother, Whatever I have that would help you, it's Corban. That is to say, I've given it to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many such things as this. That word honor is the Greek word tameo. It means to show respect or care for someone. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's rebuking these religious leaders. He's saying, you're teaching people that because you say, well, I've kind of put this aside for a tithe. And, and because it's God's money, I'm not going to be able to help you, mom or dad. I'm sorry, you're going to starve. And he's saying, shame on you. He's saying, you are supposed to tithe, but you're also supposed to care for them. You're supposed to do both. And don't try to get out of this. This is on you, family member. We're to show respect and care 
to her mother and father. Yeah, but Pastor Rob, they didn't show respect to me. It doesn't matter. You are the Christian. You are the one that are Christ-like. You care for those that God has called you to care for. Because God's heart is to defend the defenseless. His heart is for us to come around them and and to be a support for them and to be a strength in a very Christ-like way. As a matter of fact, early on, God defended widows. Um, The fifth commandment given in Exodus, shortly after this, listen to the words that Moses writes speaking for God. Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 through 24 says this, You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, or if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children shall be fatherless. He's saying, hey, if you don't care for those widows and orphans, it's on you, and you're going to experience the very same thing that they're experiencing. So it's a very serious thing in the Jewish culture. Jesus had a heart for widows. Remember when he walked in that little town called Nain? There was a, a widow that was going through the procession with her son had died, and Jesus had compassion, it says, and he went up and he, and he literally rose him back from the dead so that young man could take care of his mother. How about when Jesus spoke about the widow that had two mites? He called it that she had great faith, remember that? But here's what I want you to see. Go to John chapter 19. Our Lord cared for his mother at the very end of his life while he was hanging on the cross. This is such an example to us as Christians. He made sure that she was cared for. In John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. John 19, 26 and 27. It says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Hanging from the cross, Jesus is ready to die. What does he do? He remembers his mom, right? And he makes sure that that responsibility that was his as a family member, he makes sure that's taken care of. He says, John, you take care of my mom. And from that moment on, Jesus said, yes, she's coming. She's, part, she's my mom now. That's the heart of our Lord. That's to be our heart also. So first, the family's responsible. But then the church has a certain responsibility too to, to financially support Not every widow, but only those, it says, that are widows indeed. So not all widows are truly alone. So so in that culture, you'd have some women that that became widows, but maybe their husband had left them a nest egg, and so they were cared for. The church doesn't have that responsibility to financially come in. Now, the church always has a responsibility to care, to come around them with prayer and support in any way, try to help. But the financial means is something different, and so he's trying to outline here... um, guidelines, if you will. When is the church responsible financially for widows? And he does this primarily in verses four through eight. Let me read verse four. He says, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, verse five says this. It says, now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers day and night. And then I'm gonna, I'll read the rest here in just a minute. So the family has the primary responsibility again to care. And so some of the, the women, they had children and grandchildren that would, would come in and as a family, they would come in and support. And so he says that's good. And again, he, he uses the word first as a priority 
And then he says, piety means godliness or godly living. That's their godly obligation. They're to do that. Um, he's basically saying we as family members owe a debt to our mother because she's the one that raised us and fed us and housed us and supported us. And because of that, we should do that. And he, So the first responder to the elderly woman is the family. But if you don't respond, he says, you got problems. Look at verse 8. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. So what what he's doing here, he's stating negatively the positive in verse 4. He's saying in verse 4 that he's commanding children to take care of their parents, but here in verse 8, he's saying, if you're not going to take care of your parents... You're worse than a pagan, is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, pagans, they'll take care of their own family. He says, who the heck are you? You're a Christian. You need to step in. Because if you don't, he's not saying you'll lose your salvation. But he says it may be an indication that you don't have salvation. Now, I remember when my wife Karen, her mother, started to, started to fail in health. And Karen's sister, Diana, just a, she's a gym. She decided to move in with mom, with Joyce. And Diana did that purposely. She, she moved in and she helped support her financially, and, but also to kind of care for her. And then as a family, we came around them. Karen's brother Rod and, and his family and, and our family, Karen and myself, we pooled our money together and we were able to buy them a, a mobile home and a nice mobile home park here in El Toro so that they'd be near us. Why did we do that? Because that's what families do. You, you come around and, and, and if, you, if you don't, I mean, he's saying here, he said, you're worse than an unbeliever. He said, we need to care for those in our family. It's an obligation that God has put upon the family. But now the church, they're to care for those who are truly alone, but also those who are godly. And he lays out some guidelines that I'd like to share with you. These are, these are real widows in terms of need. So these are four things that I want to share with you when the church is responsible. First, the criteria is determining that the woman... Is, is truly left alone. The, the word left alone is the Greek word manu. It's an English word for mono. That means one or single. And so if she has nobody to care for her and her family, the church needs to step in and take that responsibility to come in and try to help. There's a second criteria, is that the widow would be a true believer. The church is responsible for believers, those who are Christians. We have a responsibility, those who are part of our church, we have a responsibility to come in and care for them. So they're a true believer, but not only that, third, they're a godly true believer. <laughs> they're following the Lord. They're honoring the Lord with their life. They're living a life that is blameless before God. They're honoring God. They're not the kind of women you see in the commercials where they're at the pachanga, right, pulling the slots and spending their Social Security money on all that kind of stuff. Not that kind of woman. <laughs> you laugh, but that's kind of the picture, right? That's real living. The fourth criteria is she's not given over, it says here, to a sinful lifestyle. She gives herself, it says, over to wanton pleasure in verse 6. It, it shows a woman who, who's, she may have even been in the church with her husband, but when her husband dies, she turns the corner and she starts living just like the world. And it could mean sexual, it could mean all kinds of stuff here. And it says that kind of widow is dead even while she lives. That means she's dead spiritually. She might be alive physically, but she's dead spiritually to the things of God. And so Paul says, to that kind of woman, we're not responsible, but as a church, we are responsible to godly. 
older ladies that need help. And then he shifts from the requirements necessary in verses 3 through 8, and he starts talking about widows who would serve in the church, those who would be faithful to serve God as part of the ministry, and he focuses on that in verses 9 and 10. And he begins to talk about a list or, or a register, and these are, these are elderly women that want to serve God, and there are certain requirements there, just like there are for leaders in the church. And so look at verse 9, he says, a widow is to be put on the list only if she's not less than 60 years old and having been the wife of one man. 60 was considered the age in that culture when they would retire from the activities of life and they would begin to find rest and contemplation. Also, if you think about it, age 60 is a time when when the woman's sexual passion would begin to, to, to decrease But she still has energy and she has a motivation and she loves the Lord. And and so these kind of women are perfect to serve in the church because they have time, maturity, character. This widowed woman must be faithful to her husband. She's a one-man woman. And it has the same construction that's parallel to when he speaks of leaders being a one-woman man. It means that she's been faithful to her husband. Now, it doesn't mean that she's only been married once. This could be a woman that has been a widow more than once. It could be a woman that was married, widowed, and then got married again. But in both cases, she's been faithful. She's a godly woman. She's a woman that you can trust. She has character. That kind of woman, he would say, put her on the list. But look at verse 10. There are other things. She also has to have a reputation for good works, as if she's brought up her children She's shown hospitality to strangers. She's washed the the saints' feet. She's assisted those in distress, and she's devoted herself to every good work. This is a woman of excellent character. She's she's like the the elders were. She's above reproach. She has a reputation in the church. She's a servant. She washes the feet of the saints. This is a woman that has character and a woman you want serving other people. As a matter of fact, Tertullian wrote about a list of widows. This is 2nd century and the widows in that day on his list, they, they provided prayer, they nursed the sick, they cared for orphans, they visited Christians in prison, they ministered the word of God to, to younger women. It's a good thing as a family to have women like this in the church. You know, when I think about today, I think that the, the modern day widow is not only those who, who've lost their husbands to, to death, but I think often they're, the modern day widow really are are widows who've lost their husbands because of either abandonment or divorce. And I know in, in our church, we, we've had many that that's happened to. I can remember when, when I was just nine years old, my parents split, and I can remember my mother, man, trying to scrape ends meet to get a two-bedroom apartment for my brother and I and her, and how difficult that was for her. I was speaking to a, a gentleman the other day in terms of his responsibility to his family, and he was sharing with me how how the mother of his grandkids, how she was abandoned by her husband, and how he and his wife, which would be the grandparents, they stepped in. And they're caring to make sure that those kids get a good education. They're, they're caring for them. They understand the principle that we're responsible. But ladies, listen. If you fit this, if, if you're a widow, if you've been divorced, if you feel alone, the church is with you. We will not abandon you. We have an obligation to you. It all has to be worked out, whether that's financial or prayerful, but we have a number of women in this church that will come around you and prayerfully help you. Two things, treat godly widows with honor and ungodly widows with care and correction. Treat men and women of all ages with love and respect as family members. The final one, treat younger widows with tender care, encouraging them towards godly godly living. So the younger widows, we're we're to care for them, 
But we want to encourage them towards godly living. The idea here is that the younger ones still have potential to be married and have a family. Look at the remaining verses, 11 through 16. He says, But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard for Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, and they go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things that are improper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are, again, widows indeed. So, so Paul says here, hey, refuse to put the, these younger widows on the list. He's talking about that list of women who are going to serve in the church. He's not talking about refusing to help them. The church will always come and help a widow, help somebody in need. But he's saying that, that with these younger widows, there's a, there's a couple reasons why we wouldn't want to put them on that list in terms of being serving regularly in the church. One is they won't be focused on their commitment. And the idea is, is when they, they start to, to, to feel sensual desires, it's going to pull them away. And the idea is this. If a young woman's widow, if she's lost her husband, the church is going to come in and help. She's going to feel this great love and obligation to the church. And so she's going to make a vow. And she's going to say, God... I'm going to be celibate, and I'm going to just serve you in this church. And he's saying, don't do that. Why? Because she's young. And she's going to have a desire for a husband. That, that idea about sensual desires doesn't necessarily only mean sex. It, it means everything that comes with marriage. A young woman is going to want the companionship and the, the fellowship and the love of having a husband. And after she kind of heals from the loss of her mate, she's going to begin to, to want to have a, a, a husband again. And that's going to draw her away from her original commitment when she says, I'm in the church only. I'm just going to serve it with all my energy. And so there's a, there's a risk there. If you look at verse 12, it says, thus incurring condemnation because they've set aside their previous pledge. God takes vows very seriously. And when we make a promise to God, and then we don't keep that promise, we can't incur condemnation. That means judgment. It could mean some kind of, it doesn't mean she's going to lose her salvation, but it does mean that God may judge her for that. And so, so Paul, to spare them that, he's saying, don't do that. You just be faithful and just keep waiting on the Lord. But there's a second thing. Younger women should not be on the list to serve because of a lack of maturity. They're still maturing, and, and they may not have that same attitude that they need. Look at verse 13. It says, at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things that are not proper to mention. Now, he's not saying every young woman is going to be like this, but he says there's a propensity for the younger women. Idle means nothing productive to do. Busybodies means they stick their nose in other people's business where it shouldn't be. And also means that they like to go around and talk to other people and go house to house. Instead of going house to house to help, they go house to house to talk about what's going on. Did you hear? And they become a gossip. And he says that they say things that shouldn't be spoken of. And the Bible speaks negatively about gossips, doesn't it? And he says there's a propensity for the younger woman that they would be in danger of doing this. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 20.19 says, He who goes around about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a, go with a gossip. He's saying there's a propensity for these young ladies that this could happen to them. 
and they'll talk about things that are not proper to mention. And so as a protection, he's saying, okay, what's the solution? Marriage. Marriage. Look at verses 14 and 15. With tender care, the church is to come around them and, and try to help them in this way. He says, therefore, I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. This goes so against our culture, doesn't it? We would say, no, you, you go out and you make it. You become number one, right? That's our culture. Paul is saying, no. He's saying for younger widows, he said, you, you get married. This would be good for you. And there's a number of reasons why he's, he's pushing for this. In, in that culture, it was almost impossible for a woman, particularly a young one, to get, get work. So she had no means of support. And there's a number of reasons why marriage is good. Marriage provides for their needs. Marriage protects them from living a life of singleness. Most young women will eventually desire to have children and be married. It protects them from the temptation, and particularly sexual temptation, to, to fall into lust. But most important, guys, it recognizes the highest calling of the home and the family. It calls them to that. So he says they're to keep children. It means have babies. Keep house. It means to manage the household and give the, the enemy no occasion for reproach. That means that they wouldn't fall into sexual sin or, or fall into sin by marrying an unbeliever. Or also, they could maybe be pulled away by false doctrine. And then finally, he finishes with verse 16. If any woman is a believer, has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened. He's kind of wrapping it up and he's saying, look, in that culture, he's saying that the younger widow still has a responsibility if she has a mother that's a widow also and it falls on her first. And I kind of thought of Ruth and Naomi where you have Ruth that went out and did the gleaning and kind of that same kind of picture. So, so the idea here is this, and I think James puts it, Best In James chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one unstained by the world. You have a responsibility. The church has a responsibility. And when we see both sides as the family, it'll be done in, in the right and caring, caring way. Now, many of us in this room have experienced in reality right now, matter of fact, I've talked to a few of you even this morning, where you're caring for your parents, and it's the real deal. But also, there are times when the young ladies need help. I can remember my sister Libby. She was 24. She was eight months pregnant, and her husband abandoned her. And so she's facing, she had no job and no one to help. And I'll tell you, I so respected my brother Gordon. My brother Gordon swooped in, man, like on a, on a night on a white horse, and, and he got her an apartment. He paid for it. He made sure she had food, and he kept her all the way until she was able to find a job, get help to care for her, her, her daughter, Wendy. And he was a hero to her. Well, guess what? When my brother Gordon got Alzheimer's, guess who swooped in to care for him? My sister Libby. Family. And many of you have parents. And some of you, ladies, are in the situation where you've been divorced and, and we know that you're hurting and you feel alone. Don't feel that way. In this church, you are not alone. We love you. And we will be there for you as a church because God's word not only commands us to, but because you're part of our family, we want to. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the word of God. And we recognize, Lord, that as a family, we are so dependent on you as our heavenly father, but also on to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Help us, Lord, to live out these words. Help us to be faithful to the call on our life and to help those in need. Because just like with my brother with my sister and then my sister with my brother, we'll be faithful to each other at different times. And so we're grateful to you, Lord, for your faithfulness and example to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.